Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's message is a continuation of our series on the book of Matthew. Last Sunday we looked at a section on what a parable is, how to understand them, and why Jesus spoke in parable. This afternoon we are going to look at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. There are different aspects to the parable of the sower with reference to the sower, the seed, and the soil. And sometimes this parable is referred to as the parable of the seed or the parable of the soil. And with it focus on the soil type, the parable of the soil is actually a good description for this parable. But we shall refer to it as the parable of the sower today a description most commonly used or by which this parable is mostly known. The parable of the sower, like most of our Lord's parable, may be quite familiar to most of us. At first look at this parable, if you are like me, it appears targeted at unbelievers. But a careful look at the parable and the explanation by Jesus Christ indicate that it is instructive not only for unbelievers, but for believers as well, wherever we are in our journey of faith. Many of us are used to having farm produce as food on our dinner tables, but we don't know the process that it goes through in cultivating and producing them, especially our kids. Whereas several years back, the main occupation for most was farming. And so almost everybody is either directly involved in or associated with the process of cultivating and producing food. And that was exactly what, how it was when the parable of the sower was first taught by Jesus Christ. So Jesus' listeners will have been very, very familiar and comfortable with the farming analogy used in the parable of the sower. Because the main occupation in Israel and Palestine at this time include crop cultivation and keeping of livestock. So the parable of the sower can be likened to a crash course in crop cultivation or gardening. I'm sure many of us are used to gardening and uh, some farmers and crop scientists among us. And right from ancient time, productive crop cultivation requires several variables to come together at the right time and at the right conditions. And these variables include the sower or the farmer which represent God in this parable, or any one of us involved in kingdom activity. You're actually sowing. Good and healthy seed, and the seed in this parable represent the word of God. And most importantly, according to this parable, we need several stages of careful soil preparation to receive the seed. And these stages, there are several stages and sometimes we use tractor, but it used to be done manually in those days. And there are several stages. I'll touch on just a few of them. Clearing by removing the stone, weeds, thorns, and other debris. Tilling and plowing, the process of turning the soil over to allow the straws and the weed to rot. And most importantly for aeration, seeds need oxygen in the air to be able to germinate. So soil aeration is very critical to this farming process. Then planting, the process of scattering or placing the seed in the prepared soil, 
sprouting when the seed germinate with tender shoots coming out of the ground and the soil going deeper into the soil and the roots going deeper into the soil. This is followed by the growth of the plant to flowering, fruiting stages, and finally onto maturity and crop production for harvest. As I said, it's a crash course. So I just oversimplify what the process is all about. So the parable of the sower seems to place emphasis and focus on the soil. And just as in crop cultivation, soil preparation to receive the seed and sustain growth to maturity is very important. Our heart, represented by the soil in this parable, is very, very important and central to understanding the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil. Why do we need to pay careful attention to today's message? Or indeed, every other sowing the Lord is doing in our hearts and in our lives, either by hearing the word of God or reading the word of God. We need to be attentive because Jesus emphasized the importance of hearing and understanding the revelation in his word, as in the parable of the sower today. The scripture says, whoever has ears, let them hear. That's what the scripture says, not my word. So it's very important that every time we come and hear the word of God, we actually listen and understand what it means. The question we could ask ourselves is, how well do we remember what we heard preached to us last Sunday, for instance, or a couple of Sundays ago, or the word of God you heard in your life groups several weeks back? I don't know about you, but for some of us, we sometimes struggle to remember what we learned. I've heard stories of individuals who observe that, that sometimes they are usually very attentive and present during a worship service until it is just about time for the sermon. So it's either there's a distraction or I embark on some daydreaming thoughts that are completely unrelated to the message or outright dozing and sleeping. It has happened to me. So during the preparation of this message, I remember the film called The Devil Wears Prada. Apparently, Prada is a designer shoe brand. And ironically, this film portrays how we can easily get, up, get caught up in the rat race of prestige, honor, and the need to be seen as very successful and important. And the Bible says when those things take the place of God in our lives, they become like small God to us. And the Bible also referenced a part of where we are going to read where it talks about the deceitfulness of riches and wealth, as we shall see later on. So I said to myself, if the devil wears Prada, surely the devil comes to church as well, but with a different purpose. With a different purpose. Each time the message we hear in church or live group get missed or forgotten, the devil enjoys a victory. Let's not allow that to happen today. The entire process of crop cultivation, as we saw in the crash course earlier on, is very, very transformative. That a seed will germinate into a plant, it fruits, and flowering and fruiting and onto crop is very, very transformative. So also is the word of God in our lives. It can transform us for better. And I'm sure many of us have testimony or know people who the word of God has completely transformed their life for good. So the entire process for 
crop cultivation is very transformative. It is an amazing transformation from seed to crop that out of a grain of maize or corn or any other seed for that matter, you can produce much more. However, for this to happen according to Jesus in the parable of the sower, the seed must fall on the good soil, the good ground. And so it is with the word of God. The transformative power of the word of God in our life can only be experienced when we accept the word of God, believe it, act on it, and hold tightly to it. The parable of the sower is essentially a contrast between soil types. Where three types of soil that did not receive the seed well is being contrasted with one type of soil that did receive the seed well. So today I have three main points that I hope we can take with us from this important uh, parable. The first point is that there are essentially four ways we can respond to the gospel of Christ. But only one response out of these four leads to a productive Christian life that glorifies God. And this requires our cooperation with God and holding tightly to his word. The second point is that we are in a spiritual warfare between the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. The battleground is primarily in our heart, your heart and my heart. That's where the battle is always fought, lost or won. It's primarily in our hearts. And the word of God comes like seeds into our hearts, just like the soil in the crash course. The third point is that our Lord Jesus Christ gave us a fundamental insight into the strategy and the tactics that our enemy employs against us to keep us unfruitful and unproductive. So we're going to explore some of those tactics earlier, later on. And this is the revelation of the enemy's strategy. Could we please open our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 9, and continue in verse 18 to 23 later on. Matthew 13, 1 to 9, and we'll continue from 18 to 23 later on. I will read. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. You may ask, which day is the Bible referring to in this passage here? For us to have a glimpse of the day the Bible is referring to in this passage, we need to go to Matthew chapter 12 and read the later part of it. But Pastor Eric actually touched on it a couple of Sundays back. And that was when Jesus expanded the definition of family beyond biology. Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing and waiting outside to talk to you. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He said, whoever listened to the word of my father in heaven and put it into practice, such is my family. So the day Jesus expanded the definition of family beyond biology, it was that same day that Jesus taught using the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil or the parable of the seed, whichever one you are more comfortable with. That same day. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the, along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produces a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times that was one. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That was the parable. Then Jesus went on and actually explained the parable. There are a few places where Jesus actually proceeded and explained the parable without the disciples asking him. This is one of them. Jesus went on and explained the parable in verse 18 to 23, and I will read. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So let us examine each of those three important points mentioned earlier, which I hope we can all take with us from this parable. Number one, our cooperation with God is necessary for his word to bear fruit in our lives, and so we must hold tightly to the word of God. Our cooperation with God is a must. The word of God, spoken or written, it doesn't matter, spoken or written, the word of God has power not only to save, but it's full of promises, promises like salvation, healing, strength, guidance, and many more. And the word of God is like a compass that helps us to navigate our way through life. The word of God is like the manufacturer and the user's manual put together in one. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's the word of God, scripture. And in Living Bible Translation, I like to check it out in other translations. In Living Bible Translation, it goes like this. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God, and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. In case I have any area in my life that is bent, or in my marriage that is bent, the word of God can actually straighten it out. That's what the scripture is saying here. And helps us to do what is right, the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says of the Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if I lose my way, the word of God can help you find your way. So we're talking about the word of God here, spoken or written, it doesn't matter, there's power in it. How the word of God is received by the heart determines how much fruit that word bears in our lives. The word of God does not become fruitful without our cooperation with God. We need to accept the word of God as our final authority, even if at first it doesn't make sense or we find it difficult to understand. Because sometimes 
we find it difficult to understand what is the word of God. Understanding the word can sometimes come later, if not right away, but as we contemplate and ponder on the word of God, illumination from the Holy Spirit will give understanding, but it must start with our willingness to cooperate with God to receive and accept his word as the final authority. Not the way my ancestors used to do it, not the way my family used to do it, not the way it is done in my culture, but the word of God. It is not enough to hear and understand the word of God. We need to hold tightly to it and apply the word to our life in determining the right course of action in each and every situation. Number two, there is a spiritual battle between good and evil and our hearts are the battleground. There's a spiritual battle going on at every single second, not even every minute. And our heart is the primary place where all these battles take place. That's the battleground. God wants his word to bear fruit in our life, but there is someone, the enemy of our soul, who is determined to hinder what God wants to do in and through us. A couple of Sundays ago, actually four Sundays ago, when Brother Bruno shared from Matthew chapter 12, we learned about the two kingdoms that are in conflict and constantly at war with each other. The kingdom of God through Christ Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. Light and darkness, good and evil, life and death. The transformative power in the word of God, the promises, the guidance on how to live abundant life in Christ comes like seeds into our heart where the battle is being waged on a day-by-day basis. So the state of our heart will determine the degree to which we will experience victory in Christ Jesus. The type and condition of the soil we are will determine our response to the gospel of Christ, the word of God, represented by the seed in the parable of the sower, the seed sown. So in the parable of the soil, Jesus described four types of soil or ground which represent the state of our heart or four ways we can respond to the word of God being sown in our heart. The path or wayside, the rocky or stony places, soil with thorns, and the good soil. Those are the four. In the first three soil type, the seed is hindered from growing and bearing much fruit. In the same way, we have an enemy of God who is determined to hinder what God wants to do in us and through us. God has not predetermined which type of soil we will have to be. Go. God has not decided that. He said we have free will, free choice. That decision, we all must make that decision. We all must make that decision by choosing how we will respond to the word of God, the seed. And this decision, this choice, automatically places us on one side of this spiritual battle. If we like it or not, if we are aware of it or able to design it or not, it automatically places us on one side. There's no neutral ground. There's no sitting on the fence. It's either you are for God or you are against God. Jesus teaches the parable of the sower to help make us aware of the spiritual battle going on for the lives of men and women like ourselves. So the parable of the sower actually gave a lot of insight 
on the spiritual battle going on for our lives. Men and women like ourselves. Number three, we need to understand the enemy's strategy to make us unfruitful and hinder God's work in us. The enemy is very, very strategic and he's full of many of them. He comes in different forms in different ways. The enemy, the devil, is very clever and deceptive and he employs three primary methods to keep the word of God from producing crop in someone's life. This includes stealing, causing us to stumble or tripping us up. Have you ever tripped your friend when they are trying to, to, to have done it several times and it's been done to me as well? Cause us to stumble or trip us up. Choking or stifling. Those are the three primary methods and we'll try and examine each of those three primary methods and see what the parable of the sower has to say about those methods. Stealing as the enemy's method. How does the enemy steal the word of God from us? In Matthew chapter 13 verse 19, the Bible says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Well, I don't know about you. I know here in Copenhagen, we have very well-paved road. Everything is in concrete and looking beautiful. But where I come from in Africa, we have a lot of paths and many waysides that are not paved with concrete. And almost everybody uses it from one lawn or one field to the other. We have many pathways. If you go to the rural area, hopefully here you might see them as well. And one characteristic of a wayside or a pathway is that the soil is well compacted due to repeated use. And also, when the birds want to perch and look around for food, they go to the pathways. That's where they go into. So it shouldn't surprise us that this inside telling us that the bird came and stole and ate the seeds. So the soil along the path is characterized by a well compacted soil. It is hard and impenetrable. Any seed by the path or wayside is exposed and easily becomes food for the bird. Even when the seed escapes the bird, the soil is not loose and aerated to receive the seed. So even if the bird did not eat the seed, the soil is not aerated. We talked about the importance of oxygen in germination earlier on in the crash course. So the soil is not loose. So aeration is very critical as well. If we harden our hearts to the word of God, we can't accept it, nor could we meditate on it to understand it. And the enemy, one strategy is to steal the word immediately. Steal it away. He said that he got a bus to come and take it and it didn't germinate at all. In John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The fourth strategy of the enemy is to steal the word of God from us. He tries his best to prevent us from hearing the word. And if you happen to hear it, he convinces us that it is foolishness. Our heart becomes hardened and the seed stands no chance of sprouting, let alone growing. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Bible says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God for what, we may ask. It is the power of God unto salvation, it is the power of God unto healing. It is the power of God to divine intervention in a given situation. It is the power of God for grace in the presence of trouble and persecution. It is the power of God for victory over disobedience. 
Jesus resisted the enemy's temptation in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, essentially by using the word of God. In every case, he says, it is written, thou shalt not. Uh, we didn't see any account of some archangel fighting each other in the physical realm. No, no, no. It was simply the word of God. It is written, thou shalt not. So, when you said the word power unto all, it is power unto all those things we mentioned earlier on. Even victory over disobedience. When I mean disobedience, when, not when you are disobedience against your parents or against me, disobedience against God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the Bible says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. By the grace of God, we have the Spirit of God living in us and so can discern concealed spiritual truth in the Word of God, even when it comes in narrative or in parables, as simple as it may sound. This is one of the reasons Jesus taught in parable as we learned last week. That we have the Spirit of God and we are able to discern the spiritual truth in them, even though it's concealed to others. Causing us to stumble or tripping us up as the enemy's method. In Matthew 13, 20, 21, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Again, the soil in rocky or stony places is characterized by shallow soil or thin veneer of cell that is not able to support plant root on a long-time basis once the plant sprouts. That's the characteristic of a soil in a stony or rocky places. This describes someone with a joyous and emotional response to the word of God, but the soil is not deep enough or is the heart prepared to support growth. So we need to be rooted in the word of God. We can't afford to be shallow. We can't afford it. This, in, in 1 Peter 5a, the Bible says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, the Living Bible Translation put it this way. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for some victim to tear apart. Troubles and persecution arises because of the world. This is beyond the normal trials and troubles of our day-to-day -day life. We are talking about engineered trouble from circumstances, and persecution from antagonists. And those antagonists could be anybody. They could be your friends, they could be your family member, they could be anyone. They cause troubles and persecution trying to trip us up in our journey of faith with God. The enemy is a specialist in turning what should ordinarily be a blessing and a positive experience into a cause and a negative experience. Plants. As we saw earlier on, plants need sunlight to grow in a process the scientists call photosynthesis. They actually need the sunlight to grow. But without deep enough root tapping into the moisture in the soil, sunlight for the seed that fell on the rocky or stony soil 
leads to scorching and death instead of energy to fuel the plant's growth. A destructive and negative experience for the plant without deep root. So what should ordinarily be an advantage could easily be turned into a disadvantage. And that's, those are very subtle ways the enemy uses to cause us to stumble or trip us up. When you trip, you know you can get up again, but it keeps tripping you. So you, we need to be wise to all these subtle tactics in different form that he uses in causing us to stumble in our walk with God. We've had stories of individuals whose friends or even family members turn against because they found Christ. I have a friend in Winnipeg. He's a senior, a Christian brother that I respect a lot. He's of Slovak descent. And he told me how it appears everything was against him when he found Christ. Particularly his wife will have nothing to do with his newfound faith and threaten the relationship. Those are troubles and persecutions. And it's very easy to derail the decision you want to make for God. I am aware of several cases of individuals in Nigeria, mostly from other faiths, Islam in particular, given the Nigerian context, who were disowned by their family member because they found Christ. There are several stories of that. These are experiences with serious consequences, experiences that come with real fear and concern, which if not fully surrendered to Christ, the enemy can use them, use these troubles and persecution to cause us to stumble. And that's why we cannot afford to be shallow. We have to be deep-rooted in the Word of God because we don't know what trials and temptation He will bring our way. We don't want to stumble. We don't want to fall for His trick to trip us up. Choking or stifling as the enemy's method. That's the third one. In Matthew 13, 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. If the enemy fails to steal the word of God sown in our heart, he will try to cause us to stumble through troubles and persecution, engineered from the pit of hell. If he fails yet again, he doesn't give up. He will cause tons to grow alongside the world or cause us to pay more attention to any existing tons in our lives with the sole purpose of choking or stifling the word of God and thereby make us unfruitful. Perhaps we have existing weakness like greed, fear, regrets, hurts, unforgiveness in our lives which if not fully given over and surrendered to Christ, the enemy will surely exploit. It's just a matter of time. The enemy will exploit it to see how he can allow those tons, those weaknesses, and we all have them. I have a bunch of them. How he can use them to choke the word of life. In other words, he's allowing the ton to grow and the word is also growing. So we can't afford to be complacent in this matter. Perhaps we, there could be pressure in the context of worry, anxiety, or burden that Satan will want to magnify and cause us to obsess over our troubles and worries instead of casting our burden onto God. His strategy is to load us down with worries and anxiety so he can choke the word of God in our life. 
The choking strategy could also be by means of riches. In Matthew 13, 22, where we read, the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. So whenever we put our trust in riches, when we make wealth our number one priority above God, those things are not bad in themselves. That's not what we're saying here. But where are they in terms of our priority? What comes first? So whenever we put them above God, wealth and riches become small God in our lives, and we are deceived by them. In Matthew 6, 33, the Bible says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But of course, we've read it several times, how have we applied it to our life? It's a different matter. Me included. And in Mark 8, 36, the Bible asks, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. The man here is actually in plural form. It could well have been, what will it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole, if he or she gains the whole world and loses his or her own life? The Bible is the one asking that question. I'm not the one. What will it profit me? Our security and trust need to be in God alone, not in the abundance of things we possess. The choking through worries and anxiety or by the deceitfulness of riches is a very powerful weapon used by the enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil. Very powerful. Either anxiety or worries or burden or the deceitfulness of riches and wealth. Those two is a very powerful tool in our enemy's hand. At one point in Nigeria's history, especially in the north and middle belt part of Nigeria, where I come from, Economic empowerment or opportunities was once used as a tool to propagate Islam. Where you are promised a good paying job or important government job if you convert to Islam. I have a distant relative who at one point sang in Anglican church choir. I have Anglican background. He actually sang in the Anglican church choir in my hometown. We used to know him as Uncle Gabriel. He became a Muslim and changed his name when he left our hometown for a big city in the north. I don't know if he truly knew Christ or not, but it appears he did receive the seed. But the deceitfulness of wealth choked the growth of the word of God in him. This was very common among people of my parents' generation in Nigeria. Very common. And I've seen this tool used in different form in different parts of the world, especially in nations where you have a large population of Muslims and the government apparatus is actually in their hand. That's what is being done in North Africa and that's what is going on in the Middle East, where even these few indigenous Christian faiths are constantly being de decimated. And sometimes the persecution is a matter of life and death in those areas. So this was very common among my own parents' generation. So much so that my, so my parents' generation, when they want to register their kids in school, some of them have Christian name. They won't put the Christian name on the registration because they may never get admission. So this is a very powerful tool that is being used by the enemy to choke the word of God, to stifle our growth. So we need to be vigilant. So the deceitfulness of riches is a temptation by which even the most seasoned believer could be deceived and made unfruitful by the enemy. Thus, we need to be vigilant through the help of the Holy Spirit. 
lest we become unfruitful. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 10, Apostle Paul, while writing to Timothy, wrote, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 10, loved this world, wealth, honor, and prestige of this world more than he loved Christ and his kingdom. I pray this will not be our portion in Jesus' name. In conclusion, I would like to summarize by reminding us of the three main points from the parable of the sower and the three methods in the enemy's strategy to make us unfruitful in our work with God through Christ Jesus. Number one, there are essentially four ways we can respond to the gospel of Christ, but only one response out of these four possibilities leads to fruitful Christian life that glorify God. And that is the seed that fell on the ground, the good soil, the good ground. And we said that this requires our cooperation with God and holding tightly to his word. Number two, we are in a spiritual warfare between the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. The battleground is primarily in our hearts and the word of God comes like seeds into our heart. Number three, our Lord Jesus Christ gave us a fundamental insight into the strategy and tactics employed by the enemy to keep us unfruitful and unproductive. This includes stealing the word from us, causing us to stumble because of true troubles and persecution, choking our growth through worries and anxiety, or the deceitfulness of riches. Those are the three main points we examine. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith and what seed the Lord has been sowing and is still sowing in our hearts using the series on the book of Matthew and other FIBC ministry activities. A couple of Sundays ago, as I said earlier, on Brother Bruno shared from Matthew 12, we learned about the two kingdoms that are in conflict and constantly at war with each other. Three Sundays ago, Pastor Eric shared from Matthew chapter 12, where we learned that without repentance, the transformative power of the word of God will not start. Repentance is the decision to have our heart prepared, just like the soil, to receive the word, the seed that fell on the good ground or the good soil. Last Sunday, our assistant pastor, Pastor Cody, shared from Matthew chapter 13 on how we can understand Jesus' parable and why Jesus taught in parable. Today, according to Jesus in the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil or the parable of the seed, whichever one, the battleground is primarily in our heart. Daily, for each situation, we have to make a choice. A choice for the kingdom of light or for the kingdom of darkness. The fact that you are sitting here this afternoon was a choice you made. So, and every single time, every single day, we have to make that choice. The enemy of our soul is real and clever, so we need to be on our guard and vigilant with complete dependency on the Holy Spirit. The enemy is ready to steal or cause us to stumble. If those fail, he's willing to let the world grow together with the tongues while waiting and watching seeking how he may choke the word. The day we decide for God, every one of us, the day we decide for God, we enlist as a soldier in the army of God. We enter the kingdom of light and join the spiritual war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. As with all soldiers, we all need to be very, very vigilant. I've never seen a soldier who is careless unless you don't want to come back home. 
So we need to be vigilant. And we need to be very attentive to the instruction and command coming from the commanding officer. And in our own case, our commanding officer is Jesus Christ himself. So we need to be vigilant and attentive. But the good news is that the victory is already assured in Christ. But we need to be aware of the enemy tactics, remain faithful in Christ, keep and hold tightly to the word of God, which is the weapon of our warfare. The Bible says our weapon is not carnal, but mighty at pulling down strongholds. What does the Bible mean by it is not carnal? It means that it is not flesh and blood or the body as we know it. It is not physical. It is the power in the spoken and written word of God, the seed. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for your revelation and teaching us using the parable of the sower. Thank you for your word. May your word achieve its purpose in our lives. We hold on to your promise that your word will not return to you without achieving its purpose even in our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living in us. Illuminate your word to us and give us understanding. We ask for your grace to accept your word, believe it, act on it, keep it, and hold tightly to it. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.